This is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worms. So take heed, for I am Baalzaman, heart of the dark. The lowly mortal who creates this content has read the series cover to cover, book to book, many, many times. He will be discussing everything he can think of, irrelevant, relevant, regardless. So... Take heed of my warning. If you have not read the series all the way through and spoil something for yourself, well, who is to blame, listener? Not I. Not I. Hello all and welcome back to Gleeman Radio, your daily dose for the Wheel of Time, or at least that's what it's supposed to be. I think we all know I dropped the ball last week and I do apologize. Today we are here for Chapter 12 of the Eye of the World Across the Tarn, and I am excited for this chapter for the simple fact of the story is just going to be a lot more interesting when we leave the two rivers. Uh, so that's going to be good. I mean, the Two Rivers is a wonderful, wonderful place. There's really no doubt about that. But the story really doesn't get kicking until, you know, these people are out of their comfort zone and into the real world. So I'm pretty excited for us to get there. Uh, last time on The Eye of the World, um, well, everybody was running from a draw car. It was mostly a travel chapter, you know, getting from A to B. But there were some interesting moments. First of all, I'm pretty sure Ran Channel, uh, trying to keep Bella to keep up, unless that was farther back. Uh, that might have been leave takings. Well, <laughs> it's been a few days since I've recorded, and I do apologize. Uh, Moraine created this really awesome mist that was able to help uh, hide them from the Drakkar a bit. Uh, and it was kind of scary to kind of ride through, which I actually was thinking about a lot today as I was taking a relative of mine to a doctor's appointment. Uh, it was about two and a half hour drive one way, and it was really misty. Um, there were at points where you could only see the road and you look to either side, which are mostly open fields uh, where we were driving through Nebraska. And it was just, you couldn't, you couldn't see anything, you know, it, it was, it started in, from the end of Colorado, and it kind of went into Nebraska. By the time we got into Wyoming, it was all gone. It was just gone. Uh, and then it actually reappeared on the way home. It was interesting. We get back into town, gone. Like, I, it must have been Power Rot Mist, guys, because it was in very select locations. Very select. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she created the mist to hide them, and it ends with them at Tarn Ferry, uh, laying hammering on the door, uh, having this little chat with Hightower, ending with this epic line, I'll wait at the ferry for a little while. I, I, I messed up the timing. It was, it was still a cool line. We can't deny it. When I say it, it sucks. When Lan says it, it's amazing. So that's how it goes. Uh, I think I need to stop talking about the last chapter, though, seeing as I have a whole 40 to 50 minute podcast on that. So, yeah, let's just let's just move it along to the chapter breakdown. That'll be a lot of fun. Let's do it. Moraine and Egwene, their cloaks thrown aside, sat cross-legged facing one another beside the fire. The one power, Moraine was saying, comes from the true source, the driving force of creation, the force the creator made to turn the wheel of time. 
She put her hands together in front of her and pushed them against each other. Zaidin, the male half of the true source, and Zaidar, the female half, work against each other and at the same time together to provide that force. Zaidin, she lifted one hand, then let it drop, is fouled by the touch of the Dark One, like water with a thin slick of rancid oil floating on top. The water is still pure, but it cannot be touched without touching the foulness. Only Sidar is still safe to be used. Uh, alrighty then, let's get into this chapter and see if it has anything interesting to offer. Uh, so that it begins like immediately after the end of the last one, with Lan coming down the stairs of the ferryman's house after Hightower closes the door, and he has everyone dismount and follow him to the docks. And Rand's like, I really hope this dude knows where he's going, because I can't see, like, my own hands in front of my face. This is ridiculous. Like, the only ways they can see a little bit more clearly is, like, the lights from the ha around the houses and stuff like this. Like, it it's just slightly cutting through the gloom, but not really. So you kind of, like, walk up, and then there's a house looms out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Mist, but... But like, yeah, yeah, um, the fog's really thick, uh, Rand is being a bit of an idiot here, maybe he's just tired, I, I, I don't know, maybe I, I want to give him a break, but he's like, man, my feet are the only thing that don't hurt, maybe I could walk the rest of the way to Tarvalin, because at least my feet are used to walking, and I'm sitting here going, dude, oh dude, you say that again after your walk to Camelin, Sheep Herder, when you are hoping, and I mean hoping, for a carriage. Oh, my fan's still on. I'm sorry. I hope that didn't inter interfere with the uh, audio too much. You see on your way to Camelin when you are just hoping for a cart or a peddler's wagon or anything else to give you a ride. We'll see how much you like being on your feet then, Rand Althor. Goodness. I don't know, it just it just seemed a little funny, a little ridiculous, but at the same time, everybody has those ridiculous thoughts going through their head from time to time, so we can't judge him too harshly on it, but it's still a little bit ridiculous. Uh, so we hear a little bit of Moraine talking to Lan, and uh, she's like, you have to handle this. If I stand out too much in their thoughts, things are going to get really bad, and we don't want people to remember me. We don't want me to people to associate me with me, something that might happen at the river here very soon. Which is, <laughs> uh, I remember what happens now. Uh, no, I knew before, but I'm like, okay, so this is the chapter. I wasn't quite sure if it was this chapter at the, towards the end of the, the middle to the end of this chapter, or if it was the beginning of the next chapter where she, you know, does in the fairy. But yeah, it's this one. Um, and, uh, I, I forgot to actually make mention of it. And I don't remember if it was at the end of leave takings or if it was the end of the road to tar and fairy. But at one point, Moraine was saying, that uh, once they cross the river, everything will be much better because they will have an easier time crossing than the Trollocs and Fades were. Epic foreshadowing much? Yes? Yes? Alrighty then. 
So, uh, the crew are making their way behind Aes Sedai and the warder, and everybody's a little bit grumpy, alright? Matt and Perrin keep grumbling and stumbling as they keep stubbing their toes and all this over unseen objects. And again, I, I don't know... Like, you, you might think this is ridiculous, but this makes perfect sense to me. When you have low visibility, it makes walking a lot harder. I know that sounds ridiculous, but if you don't believe me, one of these days, blindfold yourself and walk from your bedroom to your bathroom or your bedroom to your kitchen, as long as you're not like in a studio apartment, you'll notice that there's a little bit of a problem here because part of your coordination, you know, yeah, yeah. there's a reason uh, blind people have, you know, the stick. One, it's marked so people can recognize um, what it is, but two, so they don't walk into shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? So these guys just keep tripping and stumbling, and again, it's very comical. I don't know why this epic fantasy, I'm laughing at every single chapter. I, I don't know, maybe it's because I love the story so much, and because the story is so nostalgic and wonderful to me, but like things that aren't super funny become incredibly funny. Things that are just happening make me laugh. I don't I don't know. It's delight over the story more than anything else. Um you got to have Tom Marilyn grumbling too. I mean you kind of hear kind of a few mumbled words, you know, a hot meal and mulled wine and a good fire, but no, we got to keep going. <laughs> Tom's not happy either. Nobody's happy. Except Egwene marching forward with her head held high. And Rand's just watching her going, man, she's getting her adventure all right. As long as she has that. As long as she has that adventuring mindset. That I'm off to do things I've never done before. To experience new and great things. She can ignore the cold, the wet. And he really thinks that it must truly be different how you view and experience all this, depending if you wanted adventure or if it was forced on you. You know what I mean? Because the only one of this group that really want to be there, of the of the Two Rivers folks, is Egwene. I mean, if, if they had a choice, Matt, Rand, Perrin, they'd still be back in the Two Rivers. Uh, you know, and the only one that truly... Re that truly doesn't really want to go home, or at least doesn't want to stick, go back and stay there, is Matt, eventually. You know, he's like, I like the outside world. <laughs> but, you know, Rand and Perrin both kind of daydream about going home for a long time. Matt's the only one that immediately goes, okay, now, I like it out here. <laughs> uh, the, ignore the, ignore the uh, cold and wet. All right. Um... And Rand was like, you know, stories might make fling from a Drakkar in the night seem cool, but I don't like it very much. I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I just, it just sucks. It just sucks. And he's still kind of like in his own head and kind of, you know, complaining to himself that he really doesn't notice that Land already stopped. So he just, like, walks right into Mandarb. <laughs> Again, Mandarb still hasn't been named yet. Like, this is just Land's Large Black Stallion. I don't know why we haven't gotten the name Mandarb yet, but whatever. Uh, and he's like, pay attention, Sheepherder. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Uh, they've made it to the ferry. 
so they're all sitting around, a little nervous, because the boys are like, I can, like, like, as they walk up, it's, it's, it's very sudden, it's like, hard-packed dirt, grass, solid ground beneath me, oh my god, wooden planks, and then they just kind of really back up, ooh, I don't like this, um, it, it is, it is a little bit, a little bit intimidating when you can't see anything, I really believe that. Uh, and, uh, suddenly Ran, uh, Lan, sorry, makes this kind of hissing, impatient sound, and he runs over to the boys and has them, like, he flings over Perrin's, uh, cloak to expose his axe, he, uh, Rand sees this and flings his back, I think, uh, Matt knocks an arrow? I don't remember. I don't actually remember if Matt does anything here, that's interesting. Uh, and he kind of goes back over uh, to act like nothing happened. But yeah, the boys have to stand ready with their weapons on. And uh, out of the mist come out six men with torches and Hightower. Uh, so it's the ferryman and his crew. And, and uh, Hightower's looking at all of them very suspiciously. He's got kind of a pinched face and he's kind of glowering at all of them. And he doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to be around them. He just wants to go back to bed. But the gold, it's just, what is a man supposed to do, you know? Uh, Land is acting super cool, though. He kind of puts one hand on his sword very casually. And he's like, how you doing? And Rand kind of tries to copy him. But he doesn't think he could pull off the warder, warder's deadly casual slouch. It's 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 very funny. Um, interesting enough, yeah. He 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 thought they'd laugh if he tried. But interesting enough, do you think this is cat crosses the courtyard already? I don't know. It was it cat crosses the courtyard is more of a walking style, right? It's a very uh, uh, kind of arrogant saunter. I think it's supposed to be described as like beat like you're kind of walking casually, but held up by puppet strings like I, I i don't know no it's definitely not it's just it's just that warder's grace never mind i've been wasting all of your time i've been wasting my time it's all ridiculous um yeah land was super cool as always but the boys were trying to look imposing too right so rand's kind of like i got my sword parents pulling himself solid and he's holding the axe you know parents a big enough dude that just standing there with a weapon is good enough again I don't remember if Matt's doing anything. Maybe he did knock an arrow. I, I, re I really feel bad. <laughs> like, uh, Matt is just not super solid in this part of the story yet. You already get a better example of who Perrin is at this point of the story than you do Matt. Matt is just the troublemaker. That's kind of his job right now until the horn and the dagger come around, you know? Oh, so, yeah, everybody's trying to act intimidating, and then this is where Tom plays his part, right? He casually, like, with his sleight of hand, just has a knife in his hands, and he kind of swirls it across his fingers, and then he just starts cleaning his fingernails. <laughs> it's just, it's great. Because this brings a delighted laugh from Moraine. Moraine laughed in delight, guys. I think she already likes the gleaming. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Now, I'll admit, I'm probably looking a little too deeper into this than I have to, but I, I, I'm not going to lie, I don't hate the pairing of Moraine and Tom. I just don't. So, as I see them interact in these portions, I, wa I, I want to have my fun. So, there. You know, if you don't like me constantly doing this, well, I, uh, let me know in the comments or or email me or something I, I'll, I'll think about changing it okay i'll think about it if that's what you guys really want but 
You know, these are the kind of things that make a reread fun for me. You know, even if I'm pointing out things that are just complete bullshit, you know, I'm having fun. So, <laughs> whatever. Um, Hightower is far from amused um, from Tom's stunt. I liked it. Moraine obviously liked it. It brought applause from Egwene for some reason. That's a little awkward, but whatever. I mean, I guess because Moraine showed enjoyment, Egwene was allowed to show enjoyment. I, I don't know. Um, Egwene seems to, like, hop over to the strongest woman she could find and try to, like, become her, you know? First she tried to act like her mom, then she tried to act like Nynaeve, and now there's Moraine, and she's like, <gasps> you're the best possible, possible version, you know? Soon she'll start acting like a little bit like Swan, and then she'll start acting like the Wise Ones, and then the Wise Ones will kind of like, no, act like yourself, but kind of like us too. And then it kind of melds, and then you get the best version of Egwene's character. But not right now. Not right now. She's actually quite frustrating right now, and I and I'm, that surprised me, because I had memories of always liking Egwene. I always like Nynaeve. She frustrates me. But I always like her, even when I like screaming at the book, that just just drop it, Nynaeve, just drop it. I still love her, but I'm not getting that same feeling from Egwene. She's just irritating me. I don't know why. Um, yeah, Hightower's not into it. He's like, you said something about more gold? Oh, by the way, the stuff you already gave me, it's safe and sound here. It's nowhere you can get to it. <laughs> like, he's a very, very paranoid about this. Um, and Lance just very calm and very cool, or, unless it's Moraine. I don't know. My note just says what is said, not who said it. I think I should have corrected that. Uh, <laughs> the rest of the gold... You'll get it on the other side of the river. And then Hightower's just like, well, fine. Let's just get this done then. Um, you know, I'm actually thinking back to a few seconds before, and I'm sorry for backtracking here, but I was wondering why Lan overreacted so much as, uh, you know, they started coming out of the darkness. And then here's what I actually thought. Do you think Hightower uses all six haulers normally? Or do you think during the day he kind of rotates them in pairs of two or four or something? Like, do you think Land got, like, frustrated and went and had everyone bear weapons because of how many people were coming? Or just because he kind of sensed malice? Or, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I would just, it would just occur to me, I'm wondering why he kind of acted that way. I, I think it's cool. I think it's a very fun part of the chapter. But I don't. Like, how did he know they had to do this at the precise moment? Did he just hear... No, you know what? That's what it is. He probably heard them coming. He heard the mount of footsteps. And he's like, wow, he brought a whole bunch of people. Let's get ready. I don't know. Lan is awesome. So, yeah, he apparently counted how many people were there via the footsteps. Let's go with that. I, I'm cool with that. Is everybody else cool with that? Let's move on then. So, the theory itself is this simple wooden barge, right? with high sides to prevent, I guess, people from falling out. And there's ropes um, attached from one side of the ferry all the way to the other landing on the opposite side. And it seems how this ferry works is the haulers get on either side and they grab the ropes and they kind of pull the ferry across the river, which is, I guess, an interesting way to do it. I don't know if there's anything like that still around. I know, I know in, in our world there's a lot of, People like to go rustic. People like to go, you know, classic. So, you know, maybe somewhere in this world there's still fairies 
done this way for tourist reasons. I don't know. That would be kind of interesting to look up when I'm done with this podcast. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe you'll do that. Who knows? Um, yeah, literally pulling yourself across the water. Also, a quick question. Um, if the fairy never goes out in the dark and doesn't go out in bad weather like the fog or maybe stormy days on the really wide river, which would make sense, why are there big iron brackets to put torches in? Is this just a personal preference? Is Hightower not the not the original owner of the ferry? Like, why would the brackets be there to light the way if they never cross in the dark? I'm just I'm just curious. I don't usually notice these small details. I was kind of like, huh? I wonder why. Yeah. Um, Hightower's a bit jumpy and nervous, you know, in this fog. He's shouting to his, shouting to his crew, but kind of half-heartedly. Like, normally he's this really hard taskmaster, but, like, in the eerie dark gloom, he can't really muster it all up. So, his, his shouting just kind of ebbs down until he's just silently at the front of the barge, staring out into the fog, going, well, shit, I normally can't see the far side of the bank, and now I can't see more than five feet in front of me. <laughs> this isn't good. I don't like this, but the gold. The gold. Um, <laughs> Rand shows his Aiel roots by being extremely nervous about a large body of water that he can't see across. Uh, <laughs> he's like, even if the fog wasn't here, the idea of crossing the Tarn would be a little nerve-wracking. And I'm like, oh, look at you showing your Aiel roots. I was, it was, it was a fun thing to catch in this reread. Um, again, it's just, uh, the idea of, he's never been this far. This is all completely new to him, completely foreign, completely strange. They're, they're looking at houses going, wow, everything has to be so different from where we're from, you know? So, whatever. Um... I, can't, I think I lost track of everything. I was trying to make the I.L. Roots joke, but then I tried to, like, placate it. But, like, you know, I know that's not really what it is, but then I, I, I screwed everything up. So, uh, yeah, Arand approaches the warder, and Lan actually has a conversation with him, which is cool. But seeing as how, like, everybody who knows Lan as the story goes on, like, is surprised if he talks with people. Like, this isn't normal. Was it Tavirin? that made him talk with Rand, or maybe he liked his sword. I don't know. That was that, that those are always topics of conversation. Maybe he's just like, you know, I I don't know. It's it's interesting that he actually has like a whole conversation with Rand. And Rand wants to know, you know, would the ferryman really have tried to rob us? Like he seemed more afraid of us than, you know, anything else. Like I don't understand. Like, is it really that dangerous? Is this really that serious? And, uh... <laughs> Lan is actually, uh, surprised. He's like, I'm really surprised you would ask because of how all you two rivers folk talk about tar and fairy people. And Riz just like, yeah, but, like, that's just talk. And Lan's like, look, dude, People act differently when there's not eyes to see them. 
When when they're when men's eyes are hidden. No, that's not the right words. When men's actions are hidden from the eyes of others, they might act in a way you'd other you otherwise wouldn't expect. And the quickest to harm a stranger is one who think a stranger will harm them. All of that sounds very true once you got through my blundering of the poorly misquoted, you know, lines. Uh <laughs> But I like it. I like it a lot. The quickest to harm a stranger is one who thinks a stranger would harm them. Um, that's kind of one of those lines that goes into the book, you know. I, I Most of the quotes and sayings I have in the back of my head from fiction come from Wheel of Time, dude. Do you have any idea how much I quote Wheel of Time? It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And I'm always looking for those awesome lines to pull out at the perfect moment. And for people who are like, whoa, man, that's deep. Wow, that was... That was a good comment. I like that. I like that. And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm awesome, right? I totally didn't take that from something else. Uh, totally didn't do it. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Rand worries that if this guy can't be trusted, might he carry the Fade or some Trollocs across after him, or even tell them that they went this way. But Landa finds this really funny, and he's like, dude, do you see that man talking to a Fade or carrying Trollocs over with the Fade in this ferry in the dark? And Rand actually kind of has to laugh a little bit. He's like, I guess that is ridiculous. Uh, and and, and uh, yeah, Land's like, there's not many people that would associate with them. Like, you were afraid of the Fade, and you didn't even talk to him. It doesn't seem very likely. This is a man that's more likely to run away. Um, <laughs> he ends this conversation, which you gotta admit is a pretty lengthy conversation for Rand, by saying he should be very careful about where he talks about Shadow, Shadow Spawn and Dark Friends. Because in some places, it can earn you much, much more than the dragon thing on your door. Which obviously helps explain, like I was saying back in Emmons Field, why Tom Marilyn didn't go straight out and say, Go to Moraine Sedai, she can heal your father. Because if he'd said that, perhaps in Tar and Fairy, the man might have got lynched by Hightower and his haulers. You know what I mean? It probably wouldn't have been a pretty sight. You have to be careful where you talk about these things. Uh, but I like how Lan isn't overly gruff. He's like, hey, sheepherder, you need to be careful. You need to watch your tongue and ask us questions, but ask them privately. You know, you know, be quiet about it. You know, be soft about it. Lan is being actually pretty nice to the Emmons fielders. Um... So the ferry arrives on the far end of the bank and the gang happily leaves. <laughs> They're finally on fresh ground. And it turns out it wasn't only Matt uh, Rand that was a little nervous about the Taran. Because Matt and Perrin are being all blustery as they get off the ferry. They're like, man, the Taran isn't nearly, it's not even half as wide as I heard telling the stories. That was no big deal at all. But they're a little bit, a little bit white-faced, a little bit. They're like, oh my god, that was a really, really, really wide river. But they're like, nah, man, that was no big deal at all. Not a big deal. <laughs> oh, I love the bluster. I do. It's very fun. 
So yeah, they're all on the they're all finally off the ferry and Hightower is getting angry. He's like, Hey, hey now, what about my gold? You promised my gold. Uh <laughs> Yeah, uh but Moraine is hidden by the fog and she's like, You will be paid, sir, as well as a single silver mark for all of your men. And what she's doing here, guys, is she's getting all the haulers off the boat. They're like, Whoa, a silver mark for each of us? Walking off. Hightower's not going to stay on the ferry by himself, especially if he has to come out here to get the gold, right? So, yeah, they bribed her, uh, Moraine bribed everybody off the ferry. Land hands out the coins while Moraine is staring out at the river. And while Moraine is staring at the river, Rand is staring at Moraine and shivers. Now, again, this could be nothing. This could be an Aes Sedai. This could be... I'm just saying, I like to point out the possibility that, once again, maybe he's feeling her channel. Or at least getting the inklings of it. Maybe, you know, goosebumps aren't fully there, but, you know, a slight tingle that makes him think, well, something's going on. I don't know. But to me, it is interesting. So, Land finishes handing out the coins... But he doesn't put his purse away. He's just holding it there, right? And Hightower's eyeing it, greedily, when all of a sudden, Egwene cries out. Tom curses, and the fairy pulls free of the dock with a splinter of wood, right? And then all of a sudden, there's this swirling of light from the torches. Swirling, swirling. Crackling, splintering the air as a whirlpool sucks the fairy apart, tears it to pieces, and drags it down. Oh, man. And Moraine and Lan are both like, bad luck, bro. Oh, oh, your livelihood. How unlucky that that should have happened while you were giving us a hand. Nope. I am so sorry. And Land pulls more gold from the purse, still ready in his hand. <laughs> and Hightower takes the coins with a cry and just flees into the fog with, like, screams of terror <laughs> with all of his men running after him. Oh, oh, you know what? I shouldn't, I shouldn't dislike Hightower. Okay, strangers showing up in the middle of the night or pre-dawn, armed, you know, in a group like they're fleeing from something. I mean, as a respectable businessman, possibly, Hightower just might not have wanted to engage in potential criminal activities. And now that he's done his job, his, his fairy is gone. How sad is that? Uh, however... This is the mountains and the forests, and I'm pretty sure Hightower can get that ferry replaced for very little of the gold he just got. I still think Hightower made it out on top. He's just going to be scarred for life. <laughs> and while staring at in shock at the Taran, Rand knew... All of the Emmons fielders knew that could not have been a coincidence. No way in hell. 
so he turns around and he realizes he's been left behind again. Everybody's already climbing the snow, the slope and moving forward. This dude needs to pay attention. He keeps getting lost in thought, lost in his daydreaming, lost in memories, and he's not staying with the group. And he is the most potential, per most important person of the group, okay? He can't keep doing this. Goodness. Ah. Um, yeah, so he climbs the slope after everyone else, and just a few paces up the hill and away from the ferry, the fog just gone, just gone, vanished in a step. How crazy is that? I, I don't know. I like it. I like the thought of it. It's very, very cool. Uh, so they're looking at the sky and Rand realizes Dawn actually isn't that far away. So it's still that night. Um, <laughs> they've officially made it out of like the two rivers area kind of. Um, in a single night, which seems ridiculous. I don't know. Maybe the boundary is like Barillon. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Dawn's not very far away, and everybody's kind of clumped together up here, and the only person not kind of trying to keep their distance from Moraine and the land, and the only one trying to not, like, casually look at them fearfully is Egwene, because she is just into all of this. She's like, oh, no. She loves it. She loves it. Her eyes are shining brightly from excitement, and she's grinning at Rand. And I get why he's so confused. He's like, I, you just watched her destroy a man's livelihood, and you're smiling. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Admittedly, we love Moraine, and she did help them out. But... She hasn't earned, like, hardcore trust yet, right? Like, maybe from Rand and Rand alone for the thing of healing his father. But there's no reason for everyone else to get so excited about her. It's, oh, Gwen is just... All she's ever wanted was this adventure and power. And, like, like she's she's not a bad person, but... Oh, man. I, like, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't begrudge her happiness. But it just feels out of place for me. Maybe because she's the only one not taking the we need to run away or die scenario. She's just like, isn't this great? And Rand and Matt and Perrin are like, I want to go home, man. But if I do, the Trollocs will attack again and maybe hurt someone I like. I can't, I can't do it. I, I don't even think Egwene fully believes yet. I really don't think she does. <clears throat> Moraine says the fog follows the river in both directions for a long while. And also that not 10 women in Tarvalin could have done that unaided and not to mention from the back of a galloping horse. So everybody put your hands together because Moraine needs brownie points, props, whatever, just all hail Moraine Damadred, Aes Sedai of the Blue Aja, right? Because she technically is until Egwene, Nynaeve, Elaine, you know, until these girls show up, Moraine, Swan, you know, uh, Shiriam, Elida, these are the most powerful channelers around right now until these girls kind of take their place. So, yeah, not ten women could have done what she did. Bad phone. Bad phone. Bad me for not putting it on silent. 
Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Nope, that's vibrate. There we go. That's mute. Um, so, yeah. Tom, however, has a question. He's like, Moraine said I. I don't mean to impose, but I was curious of why you didn't, you know, keep the fog going for a while further up. Perhaps all the way to Barlong? And I'm like, Barlong is quite far away from here. I'm pretty sure, like, beyond just a couple days. That would be ridiculous to stretch the fog that far. But, you know, he also, his next point does have a bit of, you know, his next question does have a bit of a point. He's like, if the Drakkar looks over to this side of the river, all our progress will be lost. And Moray's like, nah, Drakkar are dumb. They are stupid. You know, it's, it's not, not very likely. They're fearsome, dangerous. They've got ridiculously sharp eyesight, but little in the way of intelligence. It will tell the Merdral that this side of the river is clear. Well, why will it say that, Moraine? Did you set up a ward and not tell us? Is the mist have a ward or something? Explain, because at this point, I don't know why he won't check the other side of the river. I, I don't know. Maybe she's chancing to luck, but I don't know. It, I, maybe I missed something in the chapter. Like, I don't know. You let me know. Why wouldn't the draw card check their side? Why is she so sure that it wouldn't? Maybe she's not sure at all. She just has to put on the confident attitude. I don't, but she can't lie. She can't lie. So how can she say it won't look over here? She must have done something. Some kind of ward that maybe it doesn't even notice. It. She must have done something. I just wish I knew what it was. Um... Yeah, so the Merdral will know the effort the fog took Moraine, and it will have to consider the possibilities, according to her. Slowing him down, hopefully long enough, it will have to divide its forces to search both the both sides of the river and all this stuff. Of course, I think if we rem if I'm remembering right, Pot on Fane is with them going, not no, no, keep going, but they're just not listening to Pot on Fane. Thank you, Merdral. Will you do me a favor and put Pot on Fane in the Trolloc cook pot for me? You don't have to feed him to anybody. I know he's important to the story. I know, I know, I know. Just just put him in the Trolloc cook pot, right? And remind him what he is. I'm okay with Pot on Fane getting a little bit of mistreatment. And if you're not listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not okay with it, are you on the side of the shadow? I'm a little bit concerned. Are, are you okay? Like, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm moving on because I'm starting to get uncomfortable. I, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I'm being weird this episode. I don't know what's going on. It's very, very hot, and I want to turn my fan on more than anything in the world. Oh, my God. If you guys um, listen to the beginning of this, the first few minutes, apparently, I accidentally left my fan on. So if you guys didn't hear the fan or didn't think it's a problem, let me know so I can start using it because we're hitting the summer-spring months, the spring-summer months, and I, I don't want to be overheated every time I record a podcast. I don't want to. 70 degrees is too hot for me, guys. Like, I just can't do it. I, I'm too insulated. I'm not a, I'm not a truly heavy guy. But I don't know. I mean, I, my body just retains way too much heat. It, ugh. Uh, I've gotten off topic. 
Oh, dude, it's interesting. No, okay. The merge roll will know the effort, hopefully long enough. Okay, it is interesting when you think about it that she actually explains herself to Tom here. Why did she answer him? Uh, I don't think she knows that Tom Marilyn is the Gray Fox, does she? I mean, she's never really pushed herself into the politics around in the area. I mean, it wouldn't be hard for her to figure out... But I always assumed she learned what the name Tom Marilyn meant after um, she uh, took off for a little while and let Rand do his own thing in book two. I thought that's when she kind of learned a little bit about Tom Marilyn. I don't know if she already knows or what, but she doesn't usually answer questions like this. Moraine is very heavy uh, into, you know what I think you need to know. And nothing else. So it's just interesting. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps because the gray fox is sly and she can sense that. So explaining her ways to him will make him a little bit more helpful to her. I don't know. Tom apologizes, hoping he didn't offend. I'm just saying, the sparks between these two. I don't know. Uh, Matt asked very nervously about the fairy. He's like... Did she? Did, did you? I, uh, the fairy, I, I mean, um, did you? And Moraine just, again, answering Tom's questions hap without a problem. M Matt asks a question and Moraine gets all sharp. You all want explanations. And if I took the time to explain everything you wanted to know, I'd never have time for anything else. And she starts to appear slightly taller in the darkness. Like she's growing larger than them? Huh? Is Moraine using the masks of mirror? Mi Mask of mirrors. I cannot speak. I'll get over it eventually, but goodness. I don't know. That would be really interesting. She didn't obviously use it to great effect here. Maybe just making herself a bit taller. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Mask of mirrors, man. Already used. And she's just like, I intend to see you safely to Tarvalin. And that's all you need to know. Okay. Well, Moraine has spoken. Lan says it's time to go, or the Drakkar will spot them. So, you know, let's go. Yeah. Um, again, I have... Who, who, I have a quote in here, and I don't remember who said it. Old, an old saying in the Two Rivers is apparently better to spit in a wolf's eye than cross an eye's eye. And then, and then, it, then my note says Moraine's not looming anymore. So maybe it's from Rand or something. I don't know, but it sounds exactly like something uh, Loyal would say, doesn't it? You know, better not to, better to spit in a wolf's eye than cross an eye to die. I think Perrin would disagree with that in a few books. Yes, I do. All right, sorry guys, I had to make a quick edit there because uh, I tried to scroll down through my notes to get to my next spot. And then I just went up 20 pages. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm up to like 70 pages of notes now. Ugh, goodness. Um, okay. Intend to get, see you safely to Tarvala. An old saying. Uh, Perrin wants to rest. Uh, hopefully they can rest now. Um, and Egwene is exhausted. Slumped against Bella. And Rand is just kind of like pleased about it. No grand adventure after all. Huh, Egwene. But then, then, then he sees her kind of, oh, and he's like, uh, uh, 
but we do have to rest, Moraine Sedat, you know? He goes from being upset at her one second to, like, trying to protect her. It's... Ah, oh, buddy. <laughs> uh... They go a bit farther, because Lan actually has a campsite just ahead. Apparently, like, the flo a flood at one point pushed a lot of logs down, and apparently they're now specifically arranged to be a perfect shelter. I don't know. It was hard for me to kind of, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm lazy and didn't want to reread it or picture it too well. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of a little bit hard for me to understand exactly what it was. I just imagine it to be... A little fort made of logs that haphazardly got there from the flood. I don't. I don't know. So yeah, they move a little bit farther up to the hidden campsite. Lan has prepared. He already knew they were going to be stopping here, and Moraine asks Lan to handle the boys because right now she needs to talk to Egwene, and she goes inside to talk with Egwene about something like I don't know what it is do you know it I think we all know what it is yeah and it's not gonna go well for Rand Rand is not gonna like this at all oh the poor dude but you know at least this will put another damper on their relationship that was never gonna work out so yeah um so no one saddling the horses Land says you know he pulls out some hobbles and they're gonna uh, connect the horses to that, but they're going to rub them down a little bit, put down feed bags, make sure that the horses are well taken care of. They can't let them rest fully because they might have to run away at any time, but let them rest the best they can. Um, and the boys are actually surprised at how spirited the horses still are, how energetic they are, but Lan explains that they'll run till death without knowing it, thanks to Moraine's, you know, cleansing of fatigue and he he i was worried about the way these horses were being treated right and right here lands like i'd rather her not to have done it but we had little choice due to the situation so at least nobody here really wanted the horses to be in this situation so that's good and even land says we'll have to go slowly the next couple of days for the sake of the horses so they can rebuild this stamina um so yeah that's really good Suddenly, they hear the Drakkar again, but as luck would have it, the creature actually took the bait and is searching the river for them, which makes me think that Moraine added something to the mist or fog, I don't know, to make the, maybe add, maybe uh, their scent is still in it, or maybe, you know, there's illusions in it, or, I don't, there has to be something keeping the Drakkar over there, there has to be a reason she knew it wouldn't look on the other side. I don't know. I don't know. But at least that's lucky. And Lan orders them all inside the shelter, saying he wants some hot tea and some food to fill his belly. Alright, so the boys head into the shelter. And I, I forgot to say before that to get in the shelter, you have to kind of like bend like super low, practically on your hands and knees to get in there. Uh, so, Rand is first, and, uh, he's, like, partially in. He's, like, almost all the way in, still on his hands and knees, when he kind of turns stock still. And that's because he hears what Moraine and Egwene are discussing. Moraine is explaining the one power to the girl. And, uh, this is making Rand a little nervous. And I, I don't really have to explain it to you guys, because... This is a reread podcast. It was also my clip. Everybody knows what the One Power is. It's 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 derived from the true source, 
which, you know, is the driving power of creation that turns the wheel of time, and it's got the opposing and supporting forces, you know all of this. I don't, I don't have to explain it to you. Um... Side art, still safe to use. Sidene tainted by the Dark One because of Rand's flat past life. Yeah, we all, we all know this. We all know this. Uh, and he's stuck still until Matt pokes him in the back going, Dude, keep moving. I want to get near that warm fire in there. Okay? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Move your ass. So... <laughs> Rand gets all the way in, everybody follows in, and they start warming themselves by the fire. But it becomes very obvious that it's not just Rand listening anymore. Land is doing his own thing, but Land hears everything. And Matt and Perrin and Tom are all kind of becoming a little bit still. And their ears are kind of perked up, and they're kind of leaning a little bit in the direction of the ladies. They can't help themselves. Uh, so we can't... We don't hear the entire conversation. Um, Gwen asks a question that we don't hear, but we can, you know, figure out what she asked from Moraine's answer. She's like, no, the one power can't be used up. The true source doesn't work that way. Sidar is like a river. The channel or the water will. You don't, you don't waste the river by using the water will. It doesn't work that way. No. No, and then Egwene drops the b bombshell that that destroys Rand to his core, and she's like, "You really think I can learn?" And Rand's looking at her. And he never th he thought she never looked more beautiful or so far away. She's like, "I can become Isatai." And yeah, this makes Rand jump. He hits his head on the low ceiling of the shelter logs because dude's like six four. You know what I mean? And Tom kind of pulls him back, and he's like, down, and he's got this sympathetic look on his face, and he's like, there's nothing you can do about it now, boy. It's beyond you now. Just let her go. <laughs> you know? That's uh, interesting advice, Tom, for someone who's way too into Moraine, even though you don't like eyes and eye. Uh, <laughs> So we go back to Moraine and Egwene's conversation here, and she's like, Child, only a very few can learn to channel, but you, you are one of the bare handful that has no need to learn. You will channel whether you wish to or not. She then briefly brings up men who can channel and their fate, and if reds don't get them first, blah, you know, and Tom is not too happy hearing about this, even in the corner. There's like a growl in the back of his throat, and all the boys are uncomfortable. And this makes sense. Um, you know, you're raised from the cradle to think of men who can channel as practically being as bad as the Forsaken, you know? They just go crazy. And they're not even very common, as Rand had only heard of three in his whole life. Because when you think about it, the only male channelers that really turn up are men who have the spark, which is the bare percentage of the percentage of men who can channel. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe four now, actually. Now that we've heard of Loghain, but we don't know Loghain's name yet, so I'm just jumping ahead. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Rand thinks a bit about the Ajas? As he's listening to this, and he doesn't really know too much about them. He's like, I don't know, there's some kind of society among the Aes Sedai. And the only one anyone really knows much about is that the Reds come out to get the men who can channel. That's really all he knows. 
He doesn't know the blues are for causes. The greens stand ready for battle. The yellows are for healing. The grays are for delegation and negotiation. That the white are pure logic. That the browns study history to help the future. And that black are just there to give him a hard time. Uh, did I miss any of the Ajas? Red? We already talked about red. I don't know. I don't think I did. Okay, you'll, you'll let me know. You guys will let me know in the comments. Just yell at me if I missed anything. Uh, yeah, so Moraine explains that, yeah, women die too if they're not trained and guided, you know, in the rare cases that they survive. But not always. Some of them survive, very, very rarely. And that in this uh, day and age, and in this kind of area, they might become <clears throat> wisdoms of villages. I think she's... <laughs> That's not very, you know, hidden, Moraine. That that basically tells anyone who's looking hard enough that you that that Nynaeve can channel. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, she's like the old blood is strong in Emmons Field, and the old blood sings. No Aes could not notice a woman who can channel or is close to the change before them. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it's very, it's very it's very exciting for a Gwen. Uh, and Moraine decides to guide her through her first change, her first ch touching of the power. So she doesn't experience any of the <clears throat> unpleasant side effects that come from finding your own way. H how much foreshadowing is in this damn chapter? I mean, is this supposed to give us a hint for when Rand starts acting a little nutty in Berylon? I think it is. <laughs> um, yeah. So she pulls out uh, her uh, headgear stone, the, you know, the blue stone that she hangs from her forehead. I don't remember what it's called, and I feel bad about that, but I know it's a thing that's done by Kyrian and uh, royalty. That's what it was. Yeah, Ky Kyrian and royalty wear the blue stone. Uh, duh. So Egwene's like, whoa, does that have the power? <laughs> And Moraine actually gets a little snappish. Of course not. Things don't have the power, girl. This is just a pretty blue stone. But it can get off light. And it can refract sound, apparently, too. So she uses it for eavesdropping all the time. So she has Egwene focus on the stone. And the way she's describing it honestly sounds a lot like the flame in the void. So this is pretty early on. So maybe uh, Robert Jordan didn't really have it clear how he wanted females to channel yet in the series. But she's saying, like, clear your mind. There's nothing but the stone. Nothing but the stone and emptiness. And and that, that all sounds very much like the void. That is until he shifts it just a bit with just let yourself drift and let me guide you. That is the only difference, because Sidene, you don't drift. You don't go with the flow. That's how you do Sidar. Not Sidene. Um, Rand wants her to fail so bad. It's kind of sad. It's kind of mean, but he's just... Oh, he doesn't... He doesn't... He doesn't want her to have the power, and you understand that, you know? So she's like, she has to fail. She has to. She just, she just has to. The stone starts flashing with light. Pulse. 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 And then, you know, finally ends with this just little final, like, little tiny light flicker of pulsing light. 
Uh, and Egwene's just all unsure and sad. And, but the Aes is pleased. She's like, that last light girl was all you. And, and Egwene's like, really? But it was so small. So weak. And Maureen's just like, oh my god, you shut up. Do you know how many initiates in the White Tower trained for months? Months just to do what you just did? Goodness. <laughs> the, more foreshadowing now. More foreshadowing from Egwene. Uh, more shadow, foreshadowing from Moraine, Moraine towards Egwene. I don't know what's wrong with me today. <laughs> you may go far. Maybe even the Amerlin seat one day if you work hard and study hard. Yeah, yeah. Moraine's right there going, you may make the Amerlin seat. Do you think she's all happy when she finds out? She has to find out when she comes back from the Elfin and the Elfin, right? With Matt and Tom and all of them. Someone has to have told her Egwene's Amerlin. I don't remember if Moraine and uh, Egwene ever actually meet up. I don't think it happens. I don't think so. But oh, that would have been so cool. Uh, yeah, so the chapter ends <laughs> with Egwene just spinning around in triumph and delight. Eyes sparkling with joy, happiness, eagerness, excitement, everything. And she's like, Rand, did you hear? I'm going to be an ice and eye. Yeah, girl, he's going to love that. I mean, I, I, I don't... I, I, in one way, I get why she's so excited. Because, you know, you're, you're this ordinary village girl who's constantly being told, no, don't dream. Don't go anywhere. Stay here. Do this. Don't think that way. And suddenly, this just amazing, beautiful, powerful woman goes, oh, by the way, you're a wizard. You're a wizard, Egwene. And she's like, I'm a what? You're a wizard. And a thumping good one with some training up, I'd imagine. Maybe even Amarlin seat one day. It's it's just of course she's excited. She's she's already being seen as someone who thinks outside the box a bit compared to her own people. However, she had to have grown up with the same damn stories as everyone else. And the Aes Sedai are not shown in a great light in her district. So why does she think Rand will be excited? Why does she think Perrin or Matt might might congratulate her? I don't I don't understand. Maybe maybe it's because her mom was cool with him. With uh not with him. Maybe it's because her mom was cool with Moraine. I mean she never had a problem with Moraine being an Aes Sedai. And you know, I, I just maybe it's different if you're a man or a woman. Maybe you're a lot more eager to accept this kind of thing if you know there's not horrible, horrible threat, you know, aiming your way. She wanted to leave for adventure and she found out she's a wizard and that's good. But she's getting everything she wants. But, like, it seems like Rand's losing everything he wants. He wants to stay home. Can't do that. He wants his father. Not his father. He wants Egwene. Well, not anymore because she's going off to be a wizard, you know? I, I, I don't know. Maybe Egwene's already thinking he'll be her warder or something. I, I, it's just, she's so excited, and I don't know why she, it's okay for her to be excited. I just don't know why she thinks they would share in her excitement. To me, that is a bit odd. 
Well, that's it for the Chapter 12 breakdown, and overall, I think it was a lot better than the last chapter. Again, the last chapter had a couple interesting moments, but overall, it was about getting them from point A to point C. You know what I mean? Because B is Watch Hill. You get what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, this one, you had a fairy being turned into kindling as it's sucked in by a river. You've got a character learning they can use magic if they train hard enough. You've got, you know, it, it, it's, it's so much more interesting. And I didn't expect that. So it, it's great. It's great. Um, again, I've read all these before, but, you know, sometimes you take more interest in chum chapters than other. Honestly, I'm hoping that I'll find some real joy in Elaine's conquering of Camelin. Uh, reclaiming of the throne, conquering is a very bad term for that, uh, gaining her throne because it was one of my least favorite parts of reading the series. <laughs> Maybe, I hope it'll be a lot more interesting. I have a feeling that when I get further into these books and get into some of those chapters with characters I don't care about, doing things I don't care about, well, there's a bunch of other characters I want to talk about, I might just be, those chapters might be a bit shorter. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Return to the Wheel of Time podcast, episode 13, The Eye of the World Reread. Again, I'm your host, Tom. And if you have any opinions on how I can better this podcast, make it better for you to listen to, uh, let me know. Uh, either comment it or send it to me at gleamanradio at gmail.com. I would love to hear what you have to say. Also, if you have any just random questions for me about what I think about certain points in the series or things I missed or, you know, it, it would be interesting to do a Q&A at one of these points. Maybe you can get to the point where I can answer a few Q&A questions every podcast episode. I don't know. Um, that You know, relevant questions to the chapter I'm on. Who knows? Um, if you would like to create a Forsaken spoiler intro, I would love to hear it. I would be so excited to see which Forsaken you chose or how you chose to say it. I'm not trying to give you guys work, but I don't know. I wanted, I would love for other people to also play a part in the podcast in some way, you know? Have it be a little bit more of a community thing. That would be really, really fun. Also, I've been thinking about holding a contest... For a new logo. I mean, I can't draw anything, and I don't want to always just ask you guys to send in some fan art without anything other than bragging rights, you know? So I was thinking about setting up a little competition for someone to build, uh, draw a new Gleeman Radio logo, you know? Have the actual Gleeman and Gleeman Radio Incorporated. You know, maybe I'd give out a Tarveran tea to the, uh, winner or, you know, uh, one of the Eye of the World comics. Or something like that. I don't know. Guys, let me know what you think. Uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, I think I need to stop talking now because this podcast is, is, is a little bit on the long end for me. Talking about a single chapter at a time. Um, so I hope you have a wonderful day wherever you guys are. Morning, afternoon, or evening. Take care. Peace out. Bye now.